Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm Toby Porter, also from Planning Magazine, covering for John Gagan, who's away. This is a bonus edition, taking a deep dive into the extent of working from home among council planners and what they feel about it. We'll also be exploring the findings of the latest edition of our Housing Land Supply Index. Before we go into that, here are the key news stories from the past seven days. First, West Oxfordshire District Council has accused TV presenter Jeremy Clarkson of misleading viewers with his TV show's portrayal of its planning decision-making. A council spokesperson accused Clarkson's farm of promoting a narrative that the council has a vendetta against the presenter and doing it by not including a lot of information or misleading viewers. A spokesperson for Clarkson's Farm said, Naturally, not every element of filming makes the final edit of the programmes. However, the episode covered both sides of the debate and the outcome of the meeting. We also reported last week the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead had asked Housing Secretary Michael Gove to allow it to retrospectively reduce the housing target in its adopted local plan, following proposed changes to national planning rules. The borough claims that the strategy increasingly feels out of step with the emerging national position of the government. In other news, the owners of a Grade 2 listed pub will have to rebuild it after an inspector upheld enforcement action taken after it was illegally demolished. Andrew Dolan tore down the Grade 2 listed Punchbowl Inn in Hurst Green, Lancashire, in June 2021, according to local reports. Many thanks, Toby. And of course, more details on each of those stories can be found on planningresource.co.uk. So now to return to Room 106 for our deep dives. Toby, will you be joining me? I've got to go back to the website, I'm afraid. Oh, well, I'll grab my reading glasses and head in. Bye. Well, here I am again in the subterranean chamber into which all new planning information percolates. Thankfully, I can see I'm not alone. So I'm going to head over to a corner of the catacomb where I can see a wall full of flickering telescreens. Room 106 was an early adopter of video technology and they're being studied by a familiar-looking figure, planning special correspondent Joey Gardner. Hello, Joey. Hello, Richard. How are you? Very good, very good. So... You've been looking at the issue of council planners working from home, but can you just start by telling us what was the sort of prompt for exploring this? So the prompt for exploring this really was looking at the latest version of the Life on the Frontline blog that's been hosted by Sam Stafford, where he's asked local authority planning officers to give their testimony as to uh, life in local authority planning departments, what the staffing and resourcing crisis, there's, there's not really much of another way to describe it, what it looks like at that level, and what are some of the issues playing into that. And one of the big factors that he was looking at and that those offering their testimony this year were looking at was the impact and one of the big themes that came through was the impact of working from home and the continued prevalence so it seemed of working from home 
in local authority planning departments, despite the fact that we're now nearly three years on from the start of the COVID pandemic. Okay, well, I'll ask you a little bit more later about what these testimonies reveal about the the impact of working from home. But first of all, is working from home any more prevalent in council planning teams than in private sector planning teams? Well, it's a very interesting question, Richard. And certainly for a long time, I think there's been an anecdotal sense that, yes, it is more prevalent in local authority planning departments. So when when we were looking at this for this piece that I was doing, we decided to do our own little bit of research. We weren't able to get a official polling company, but we asked planning readers and we got over 600 responses split across local authorities, planning consultants, planners working in, in law firms, etc. The majority being local authority responders, but a large contingent from, from consultants and elsewhere as well. And it really did back up this anecdotal picture. It appears that significantly more working from home happens in local authority teams. So I think The most startling statistic that I drew out of it was currently 63% of local authority planning officials said that they worked from home most or all of the time. The equivalent figure at uh, planning consultants was just 35%. So that's almost twice the proportion at local authorities. I'll give you another figure. While 7% of planners said they were in the office full-time, so less than one in 10, not far off, 20% of consultants said that they were in the office full-time. So there's clearly a statistical picture emerging to back up the anecdotal picture that's uh, kind of long been talked about. So 7% of local authority planners say that they're in the office full-time for all of their working days? Exactly, yeah, yeah, a tiny proportion. Okay, so we know that working from home is more common amongst council planning teams than elsewhere. But what are the problems that were being cited by the people who submitted complaints about it to the blog? I think there were manifold problems, really. I mean, uh, from an individual's perspective, uh, people talked about isolation, loneliness, depression. Uh, People talked about staff leaving because of just not liking that way of working, you know, particularly if they were having to deal with difficult clients on the phone and and they weren't getting that support. And then also, I think in a in a longer term sense, there is concern about how planning staff would learn from other planning staff, from more experienced staff, and, and, and how team working would happen. Okay. And then you've taken some of these complaints and you've spoken to councils around the country and team leaders or in planning authorities. What did the research that you did reveal about how council planning staff feel about the proportion of time they spend working from home? Well, it was interesting, actually, and it shows how important it is not to overplay the problem, despite, I think, you know, some often quite emotional testimony, particularly that you would read on the Life on the Frontline blog, and certainly that I heard when I spoke to individual planning staff. The majority in the survey that we did, again, of over 600 people, of local authority planning staff think the balance is about right. About four-fifths of staff feel that that the balance 
of working from home versus working in the office is around about where they would want it. However, there is an important caveat to that, despite the fact that's the majority in favour. The amount who think they are spending too much time at home is still much higher in the local authority sector than it is amongst consultants. There is a minority, around about 15%, who feel they are spending too much time at home in local authorities, and that is a much higher proportion than you will find in consultants who seem overall have an even higher proportion that are content with their working from home and office split. Is there a case that actually it's even more important for public sector planners to be in the office than it is for private sector planners? There wasn't really much of a case made by the public sector planners that I spoke to for this. I mean, certainly it is important for planners to be available to members of the public, to agents, to developers, to be contactable. If you're in a public organisation, you can't be entirely unavailable all the time. However, in the communication age that we live in, obviously that is clearly something that is possible to do in a in a working from home context. Just because you're not in the office doesn't mean that you are necessarily entirely unavailable. People can be contacted via emails or they can have work mobiles or other means of contact. So it doesn't appear to be something that, that was a strong case made to me. And what about how it all affects managers' ability to lead council planning teams, bring forward more junior staff, and how it affects the ability of more junior staff to progress? I think this is the big concern around this that goes beyond the short-term impact of working from home on staff uh, mental health and staff isolation, those really big impacts which people felt particularly during the during the COVID pandemic, but which can be quite short term. The longer term issues, the kind of team working issues, appear much more thorny and there's something that's really taxing the minds of a kind of managers working in planning departments at the moment. In short, the managers that I spoke to feel that working from home is really affecting their ability to lead planning teams. People working from home require much more active engagement, you know, much more time spent, whether it be remotely via Teams, whether it be contact via email, active engagement in terms of things like inductions and assessments and making sure that people are feeling part of Teams. But also a really big concern as to how junior staff in particular learn on the job, this kind of learning that would have happened naturally as people built up that sense of how to do a job from observing and watching their colleagues, their more experienced colleagues around the office, that that learning by osmosis is just not happening. And how to replace that is a really thorny topic. So we're, we're talking about the concerns that the local authority staff feel and, and the issues for local authority managers. But am I right in thinking that some of the prominence that this issue has gained has been because of concerns raised by private sector developers and consultants about a perception that this is affecting service quality? Absolutely. Private sector developers have been complaining about 
local authority staff, the impact of local authority staff working from home for probably 18 months or so now. And in many cases, blaming that for, I mean, I think it's fair to say, decreasing service quality that we're seeing from lots of local authority planning departments, which I think the statistics have borne out. Now, a lot of the local authority planning managers that I spoke to disputed that working from home had really anything to do with this issue. Whilst a couple said that with IT issues in some cases and with low morale in some cases, particularly during the early COVID period, there were impacts on productivity. In most cases, most of the managers I spoke to said they'd actually seen very high productivity and in some cases improved productivity via working from home. Productivity itself, particularly of casework, doesn't seem to be a problem. It's these bigger issues. It's things like team working, it's team building, it's learning for junior members of staff, it's management. It's those kind of longer term issues that are very difficult. So there is a difference of opinion, I think, there between the public and private sector as the extent to which working from home can be fingered for the difficulties that I think applicants feel that they're experiencing in the planning sector at the moment. And clearly the councils or people managing planning teams in in councils see some upsides. I suppose we should talk about what has driven the um, continued adoption of of, of home working by council planning teams. Well, I think the data that we've got shows that it's not only managers, it's staff themselves that see some upside. So I think there are huge upsides. You're absolutely right. It's clear that among council staff, the majority of them see benefits in a certain amount of working from home. A small minority feel that there's too much working from home, but the majority are happy with it. But I'm just interested in what what's driving the council management to continue to adopt home working for their planning teams. Well, I think there are actually a number of factors that make this quite a potentially positive thing for council managers. But I also think, and I will go on to them in a second, but I I also think it's worth bearing in mind that most of the planning managers that I spoke to, and we're talking mainly about councils where they had adopted hybrid working models, where it was part working from home, part working from office, Most of those I spoke to, the decision for that had not been taken by the planning managers themselves on this. So this is worth bearing in mind that this is often decisions taken corporately at a very, very senior level in the local authority for that local authority as a whole. And these are uh, very often appear to be decisions based on a desire to rationalise the corporate estate to cut costs and and obviously a decision to look at how the world of work is going and try to adapt, but very much a decision to adapt in the context of an incredibly low-resource environment and a sense that there are huge efficiencies to be gained by allowing people to work from home and reducing the office land take. So that's, I think, the context in which a lot of this is happening. Now, from a planning department perspective specifically, 
there are a number of benefits. I, I think there is a sense, actually, that staff are working very, very efficiently, often on, on casework from home. But there are particular benefits when it comes to things like recruitment, which have been massive challenges for many planning departments. I spoke to one in Buckinghamshire. They've had chronic recruitment issues for years. And now, now they've gone to a hybrid model. They've been able to recruit from much further afield. And they do insist that people come in for one or two days a week, but that allows them to recruit people from much, much further away. People are prepared to take a a job on from a much, much further distance away. And they now say that they no longer have these chronic recruitment problems. They filled all of their posts and they're they're happy. This, for, for many planning teams, is a huge, huge benefit they're seeing resource efficiencies, they're seeing recruitment efficiencies, and they're potentially seeing no drop-off in productivity as well. So there's big potential upsides to this. And at the same time, as staff themselves, many of them are reporting you know, a positive impact on things like work-life balance, etc. So there are reasons to do it. It's just in those places where it's 100% working from home, or for those staff for whom they haven't got adequate places to work at home, or for whom it doesn't work, or who for whom are very junior in their career and really need some assistance, in those cases it can really be not working at all, and that's where the major questions arise. Okay, Jerry. Well, thank you very much for that. Very interesting. If people want to read more about it, they can uh, find Jerry's uh, special report on this at planningresource.co.uk. I'll leave you studying the uh, the telly screens, Joey, and look forward to seeing you in Room 106 on uh, some other occasion. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Richard. OK, well, I'm leaving the corner of Room 106 where the telly screens are and heading over to another section which we haven't visited for a while which is full of published positions from local authorities stating their housing land supplies and and a selection of appeals. And I can see another member of the team embedded in in this section. Ah, it's uh, it's our senior reporter, Samantha Eckford. Hello, Sam. Hi, Richard. You've been spending an awful lot of time in this part of Room 106 recently working on our new index of Council's housing land supply figures. Can you just remind us what this housing land supply index is? Of course. So this is the third iteration of our housing land supply index following the publication of indexes in March and July last year. The index shows for each planning authority in England the most recently published housing land supply position and also includes appeal decisions where an inspector has assessed the validity of an authority's claim figure and provided it an alternative position. It shows this information in a colour-coded table and map which shows which authorities have been unable to meet the requirement and also provides the links to the documents which contain the Council's published figures. That sounds an exceptionally useful service that we're providing there, Sam. Yes, we hope so. Good stuff. OK, and so for, but for those who don't know, why is it so important that councils are able to demonstrate this five-year supply? So the National Planning Policy Framework, or NPPF, requires each authority to monitor its pipeline of housing land with the aim of maintaining at least a five-year supply of deliverable sites. When councils are unable to demonstrate such a pipeline, the NPPF's presumption in favour of sustainable development applies, 
which renders the housing policies in their local plan out of date, making them more vulnerable to speculative applications. So essentially, when a council supply dips below five years, the prospect of winning permission for new applications immediately improves. So what does our research show? So we've looked at authorities' published positions as of January, and the index also includes appeal decisions up to the beginning of February. 53% of authorities have published a new position or had a new figure decided at appeal since we last looked at this information in June. 24% of authorities saw their figure rise, while a slightly greater proportion, 29%, saw it decrease. Overall, 38% of English authorities were unable to demonstrate a five-year housing land supply, which was marginally lower than we reported last time when 39% were unable to do so. On average, authorities were able to demonstrate 5.75 years of supply, which is marginally higher than the 5.72-year figure we reported in June. Okay, but pretty interesting. That that figure, 38% of local authorities can't demonstrate a five-year housing land supply. Yeah, exactly. So more than a third. It's a a sizable proportion of authorities. And how does the picture vary between the different regions? So the southeast is yet again the region where authorities were least likely to be able to demonstrate a five-year supply. 63% of councils in this region had a supply figure of below five years, and the average figure was 4.5 years. This compares to average figures of 7.1 and 7.2 in the East Midlands and the North West, where just 23 and 26% of authorities were unable to meet the requirement. You know, it's what we'd expect, which is that southeast authorities aren't doing as well in in providing the amount of housing sites that are needed to meet housing need. But it's interesting to see it sort of confirmed in black and white. Exactly. And why do we think this um, imbalance is, is happening? So the people I spoke to said that a combination of very high housing needs as derived from the standard method, combined with greenbelt restraints and other localised infrastructure issues, are the reason why housing land supply is so constrained in the southeast in particular. These factors can affect the viability of sites, but can also mean that they're not deliverable within the five-year time frame. And they can also affect plan making in the region, which is one of the most influential factors in, in determining whether or not an authority can demonstrate a five-year supply. What else has changed since the publication of the last report? So since June, 15 authorities have seen their housing land supply positions slip below the five-year mark. Some have seen their position fall by more than others. So, for example, one council was subject to an appeal decision in which an inspector found it was only able to demonstrate 2.5 years supply, despite having previously been able to demonstrate 5.3 years. It's also worth saying that of those 15 councils that have lost their five-year supply position... Four of them have adopted plans within the last five years, so they would be exempt from the requirement if the proposed changes to the MPPF are introduced this spring. Okay, so just as some people have been complaining, the pressure on councils, which is created by the current need for all of them to show this five-year housing land supply, there's going to be a whole group of them who are going to feel much less pressure should these revisions to the MPPF come in. Yes, exactly. Okay, and I believe you also looked at which councils have a very marginal five-year housing land supply? We identified the 15 councils that had the most marginal supply between five and 5.22 years. Seven of them were also on our list of 15 councils with the most marginal supply last June, but there are eight new additions to the list. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I've found maybe surprising about all of it is how fast this um, situation changes. You also um, looked at a group of councils that have gained a supply since June. Is that right? Yes, there were 11 that saw their figure rise above the five-year threshold over that period. 
Again, some of them saw some significant increases. So one council in Lancashire saw their position rise from below five years to over 14 years. And then others saw more marginal increases and a couple were included on our our list of those with the most marginal supply as well. Okay, so maybe important to say that it's not just traffic going in one direction and it's not all about councils not providing enough housing sites. You know, there are some places where the situation is getting better. Yeah. Okay, and, and how is all this likely to change in the future? So many of these authorities that have lost their supply remain below the threshold or are edging closer to having a marginal position. Maybe looking forward to the introduction of some of the proposed changes to the MPPF that would mean that local planning authorities that have an up-to-date plan will no longer be required to demonstrate a five-year supply. There are also a range of other changes which would mean that those that have reached a certain point in their plan-making process will only have to demonstrate four rather than five years of supply. The draft MPF also proposes dropping the requirement for councils to add a, add a buffer of between 5 and 20% onto their figures. Our research shows that around 20% of authorities that are currently lacking a five-year supply have an up-to-date local plan, so would be exempt from the requirement if it's introduced this spring. Okay, okay, that's a big group. So how can people keep on top of all of this going forward? So in addition to publishing this latest version of the index, we've also launched a new tracker service which monitors both published positions and appeals on a weekly basis. So you can sign up for this service on the My Bulletins page on planningresource.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Sam. Just to say there's more details of all of that. As Sam said, you know, both the new tracker service and also the new edition of the Housing Land Supply Index, both available on planningresource.co.uk. Thank you very much, Sam. I'll leave you with the published positions and the and the appeal documents and look forward to seeing you back in Room 106 soon. See you soon. Great, that's another edition completed. We'll be back in a week's time, but in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Our thanks to producers Hannah Holt from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink, and thanks for listening. <laughs>